Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-back attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's show, Super Bowl winner and former Panthers cornerback Eric Davis joins the Believe and Panthers podcast. But first, it's the opening drive. And welcome to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. This is the opening drive. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host. He is a two-time Super Bowl winner, the first defensive player drafted in Carolina Panthers history, a first-round selection, 22 overall back in 1995, cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? How's your week been? Hey, Des. How you doing, man? Another another great opportunity to bring the latest and greatest news to the Carolina fans, all of North and South Carolina. Well, there's a, there's a buzz going on as we get closer and closer to the football, and it looks like we're actually going to get some NFL football here, uh, Ty. We got some housekeeping we need to get through first, and then we're going to get into it. Some news and notes from training camp in Charlotte. Uh, the Panthers actually practicing at Bank of America Stadium as opposed to down at Wofford College like they normally would in a normal year. Um, but they're down in Charlotte. Training camp's been opened up to the media finally. We got a couple of uh, tidbits on some players, including Shaq Thompson and Russell Okung. And then we'll also take a quick look at head coach Matt Rule and how he is getting a chance to implement his quote-unquote culture change uh, with the Panthers as training camp has begun. But first, tie playoffs, man. NBA, M- MLB, and NHL are in full swing and our partners at Bet Online have our fans covered. I was watching. A, I'm a huge Laker fan, so I was watching the Lakers and the Blazers uh, the other night. And Anthony Davis, a grown man, and they're doing stuff. Maybe <laughs> I think I might have to put some money down on something that uh, coming up next week. Um, yeah. People need to take full advantage of sports being back. Get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So. Head to betonline.ag today. Sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, some news and notes, Ty, to go through, get some reaction from you on some of this. First, uh, left tackle Russell Okung uh, this week cleared the air with the media. There had been some reports out there that he was contemplating retirement Um Last year, uh, we, we traded uh, Trey Turner to the Seattle Seahawks in uh, the offseason for Okung. Um, and Okung missed a large part of last year with a pulmonary embolism um, with everything going on with COVID and everything else. I know that a lot of people are concerned about uh, offensive and defensive linemen possibly getting sick and how that affects them going forward into this. There was some rumors and some reports out there that Okung was contemplating retirement. He cleared the air uh, regarding those reports. Uh, calling them unfortunate. And he also said that no combos like that have ever been had. So, uh, Ty, it makes you wonder where some of these stories actually come from. Uh, you know, if they're not coming from the horse's mouth itself, you know, where are these reporters pulling these these things out of thin air that guys are retiring or 
wanting to go to someplace else or, or things along those lines. But from the way it sounds, Russell Okung is going to be here for the 2020 season at least, uh, which is crucial for us uh, with him being the left tackle uh, on this brand new offensive line. Yeah, I think Russell Okung being here in Carolina is very, very, um, it's very important just for lack of a bigger word. His play, the offensive line play, is very important to the success of anything that this Carolina Panther offense is going to do. And Russell Kuhn, like you said, being the left tackle, that and Teddy Bridgewater being a right-armed quarterback, that's why they call it the blind side, because most of the times right quarter, right-armed quarterbacks are throwing to their right, so their sight is usually more dominant to their right than their left. So mm-hmm. Russell Kuhn being a part of this offensive line is very crucial because without him, you've now got to put someone in that you are not sure of their play. And anybody who knows football knows that the more the offensive line can jail and they know one another, again, the better that unit is. You look at any championship team, I don't care who you look at, look at how many years, how many games they played together. And I promise you, you will find out that that offense is very, very good. Okung might be the best uh, left tackle in Carolina since Michael Orr in 2015. And in 2015, of course, we all know uh, what happened during that season for the Panthers franchise. Uh, newly acquired cornerback Eli Apple from New Orleans has been eased back into practices this week in Charlotte. Apple's dealing with a foot injury suffered during the offseason. Head coach Matt Rule didn't seem too concerned or worried regarding the injury. Uh, he did have high praise for Apple, though, saying that uh, he has an opportunity to do some really big things here in Charlotte. Linebacker Shaq Thompson's nursing a minor groin injury that kept him out of practice for most of this week. He suffered it around Tuesday. Uh, Thompson signed a four-year, $54 million extension during the offseason, and he'll be looked upon to be one of the leaders of this team, Ty, with so many uh, players, uh, the exodus of uh, players in different spots for different reasons, whether it was Luke Keekley to retirement, Cam Newton being cut. Uh, there, there's a, a vacuum of uh, leadership or prior leadership at the top, I guess you could say. I, I was looking at a uh, a photo from 2015 of the 2015 Panthers and the captains on that team, they're all gone. <laughs> like no, none of them are still on the team, whether it's Cam Newton, Ryan Khalil, Thomas Davis, Luke Keekley. Uh, they're, 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 none of them are Greg Olson. They're all gone, different spots, retired, moved on to other things. Uh, it truly is a new era with the Carolina Panthers as we start this uh, 26th season and training camp well underway. They've got some pads on. I don't think they're doing hard hitting or anything like that yet, Ty, but that's going to be coming up right around the corner. Uh, and then finally, some uh, somewhat somber news here. Former Panthers and current Washington football team head coach Ron Rivera revealed this week he has been diagnosed with cancer in his lymphatic nodes. Uh, however, it is treatable. He is expected to recover 100%, and Rivera expects to continue to coach uh, throughout the season, uh, pending on his health. And, you know, as a as a you know former Panther head coach, uh, being here in this community uh, in particular, I know Panther fans in particular hold a special place in their heart for Ron Rivera. And I'd be amiss if we didn't say that we want to wish uh, Ron Rivera well and hopefully he'll be able to 
uh, combat this uh, and come back stronger than ever. And even though you leave, you know, the, the motto is still the same, man. Keep pounding. Definitely. Um, definitely something we want to stress to Coach Ron Rivera up in uh, D.C. Um, yes. Speaking of head coaches, we have a new one here, Ty. 45-year-old Matt Rule, uh, formerly head coach at Temple and Baylor. Before that, he was an assistant offensive line coach underneath Tom Coughlin for the New York Giants in 2012. This is the first time he'll be a head coach at the professional level. Um, it seems, though, from what I'm hearing from uh, some of our buddies, like Joe Person at The Athletic, uh, Ed Harden at the Greensboro News and Record, Alana Getzenberg at Charlotte Observer, the reports I'm seeing from them over the course of the week as they report from training camp in Charlotte is that the mood is different than previous training camps in terms of how the camp is being run. It's uh, mm -hmm. the words being thrown out are energetic and upbeat and fast. Uh, there's no standing around uh, waiting for drills or whatnot to happen. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you kind of explain to us how a typical training camp type thing works from the pro side compared to the college side? Cause it sounds like, they're running kind of a college-style type of, I don't want to say training camp, but in effect it is, whereas most of the time, you you know, when you're watching like Hard Knocks or something like that and you get an inside view a little bit of training camp, it does feel like a little bit with the drills, you know, there's a lot of standing around, you're kind of waiting for your turn, that kind of thing. And it sounds like Matt Rule and company are trying to combat that to keep everybody busy and on their toes. What can you say, Ty, in terms of uh, training camps from when you were a professional – uh, in the NFL and how they were run, would you prefer mm -hmm. it to be more upbeat where you're just constantly move, 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 move? Or do you get to a point where you're settled and you, you kind of like what you know what's coming uh, with mm -hmm. the kind of stop and go type of drill <laughs> procedure that a lot of these other teams are doing? Well, first and, first, first and foremost, we need to understand we're in an era of social media. So everyone has a camera. Everyone has a cell phone and they're taking pictures. So the, the, the last thing you want to do is to be that guy that is seen not showing energy, <laughs> not in a day like a day and time like this. So uh, some, some, sometimes I think people do things just because you're trying to show the public that, hey, I'm excited. But deep down, we all know that the, those emotions only run for maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of days, a couple of months, and then the monotony sets in. And here we are in reality. So my thing would be, will Coach Matt Rule keep that energy all the way throughout the entire season? Again, we living in a media, social media world where the people who are watching the people got cell phones. They are filming each other. So you want to make sure you put on the best show possible. But again, I'm pretty sure uh, Coach Matt Rule, he's energetic. Like you say, he's coming from a situation where he, uh, his first year here as the Carolina Panthers head coach. And he just want to make sure that his guys has energy. And if he's going to be the leader, then he has to show his followers. But at the same time, myself as a player, I believe the players bring the energy. And anytime you got to uh, inflate, make someone become something that they're truly not, then you're only going to wear yourself down. So I understand he wants to uh, 
set the tone. Uh, but at the end of the day, I believe give it a week or so, and then you'll see everything start to balance back out and you'll see those energy levels come to a normal. The the new starting quarterback for the Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, had his media session earlier in the week, and he actually commented on this. We've got some of that audio right here where Teddy basically commented on how the practices, even the new coaches, seem to be getting involved in drills with the players. Here's some audio from Teddy. It uh, feels like football is here. Uh, we're in pads. Guys are flying around. And we've uh, just been able to practice the past couple of weeks. It's been great. Uh, the tempo, the energy, everything. Uh, you watch tape, you see guys flying around, you stand on the sideline, you see guys communicating. And those are some of the steps that they have to take to be a successful football team. Um, you know, you have coaches flying around and I'm watching practice like, man, who's this guy? And it's a coach, you think, and it's a player. So you feel the energy from, from top to the bottom and uh, it's great. So pretty interesting there from Bridgewater in terms of describing you know, rule getting in there and, and participating in drills. You kind of see that in high school more than you do any place else where you might see some guys put their hands in the dirt. Uh, can a college atmosphere work in the NFL long term? I know you said that, you know, after the first couple of weeks, some of that's going to start to fade off and, uh, you know, the monotony of the season starts to kick in. But uh, we were trying to figure out when we were putting this show together some other places where coaches have come in, kind of what a college type of uh, – mentality i don't even want to say college type of mentality coming from college with no other mentality maybe that's the best way to put it like you don't know any other way to do this but the way you've been doing it and uh, we had a couple coaches that came to mind but can it truly work in a professional atmosphere for longer than say i don't know two three seasons uh in a row like clips of two three seasons because it feels like it can't go much longer than that because guys are just going to naturally get older you know what works for a 24-year-old rookie may not be the best way to go with a 30-year-old six-year veteran, you know? Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Is that is this feasible? Is this something that can be continued? Because there are some, exce- some uh, exceptions out there right now, coaching in the NFL, that many people consider rah-rah kind of coaching style of the college game as opposed to the pro game. Again, the professional, pro, you said the, the, right, <clears throat> the right word, pro. These are professional athletes. They get paid. And in, in college, yes, they get paid. They call it a scholarship. And <laughs> years to come, they're going to get paid, uh, you know, monetarily. But these athletes that play in the NFL, they get paid to come every day with energy. And it's their responsibility to get their mindset their spirit in line with what it takes for them to get the job done. Everybody's different. Some guys, they like to listen to music before a game. Some guys like to just go lay around and just hear nothing but silence. Everybody's different. But I do understand this. In order to do anything, you got to have passion. And if you don't have passion, then I don't think you're going to get you're going to get the best results out of yourself or the group or whatever it is that you're trying to do. So I understand the atmosphere and everybody goes about trying to get that excitement started, that electricity, as we would say, started. But the bottom line is called passion and passion is what builds championships, it sustains championships, it sustains life. If you wake up every morning with passion, 
then more than likely you're going to have a great day. If you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and say, oh, here we go again, it's another day, you're probably not going to have a, a great day. So I mm -hmm. understand exactly when teams talk about energy and that rah, 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 basically what they're saying is we want you to do this with passion. Well, the one thing I've noticed with Coach Matt Rule, uh, that's a perfect word to describe him. He loves what he does for a living. Like, he loves being a football coach. And that's uh, when you get around somebody like that that's not only uh, super excited about what they do for a living, but they're also very smart in terms of what they do for a living. Like, they know the ins and outs. They know the X's and O's. It becomes pretty contagious. Um, and that, again, quarterback Teddy Bridgewater – uh, commented on that as well when asked earlier this week. Uh, here's Teddy talking about how head coach Matt Rule's energy is contagious around the building. Yeah, it's definitely contagious, man. Um, you feel him wherever you are in the building, on the field. Uh, he's screaming, he's loud, he's running around, he's hooting and hollering. Sometimes he talks too much, but um, <laughs> no, he's a guy, man. You know, he's a great motivator and uh, he's getting the best out of everyone right now. And that's contagious in a good way, not contagious in a COVID nineteen bad way, Ty. That's that's uh that's the kind of contagious stuff that we want going around Bank of America Stadium right now. Um, exactly. Going back to my my original question with the college atmosphere, I was the first name that came to my mind was Pete Carroll in Seattle because he had the same kind of thing going on. He had just left USC on top of the world, national championships, big kind of. You're always seeing him on the sideline, just kind of you know, pumping his fist and rah, 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 and just all in there with it, with the Trojan sword and everything. He gets to Seattle, and the reports, I remember the first year or two he was there, the reports were the same, that he brought that attitude with him to Seattle. And I think Pete Carroll's one of the oldest coaches in the league, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's close to 70 years old. And he's out there running around like a kid, participating in drills. He's a, a defensive coach, so he's out there working with the defensive backs and, you know, just just out there. For a player, what does it do for you as a player to see your coach out there on the tackling dummy or uh, trying to explain a drill by physically being out there and showing position and what and what to do instead of a guy that's just standing on the sideline pointing fingers? Does that make you play harder or are you the type of guy where it didn't really matter if he was standing over here, if he's in the drill with us? How, how does that affect you and, and how did you think it would affect other players, uh, especially younger players with this Panther team? The average age is 25, so... Uh, is it a is it a perfect storm here in terms of just looking at the 2020 season and not beyond with the Panthers being so young, Matt Rule first year, everybody's new, no training camp, well, no OTAs, no preseason. So when we start week one, everyone's going to be looking at everyone else across the line and think, we don't know what they're going to do, but they don't know what yeah. we're going to do. Like, we, no one knows. So do you think that – you would play harder for a coach that's like that? Or are you the type where that doesn't really matter? Well, I tell you, I don't know how much <clears throat> these coaches are actually going through the entire, entire drill. You know, <laughs> people sometimes are very great at taking the first step, first two or three steps out of 100 steps. But the thing is, are you doing the 100 steps? That's a but great I do point. understand sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I do point. understand these coaches, they want to show you how to get started and then leave it up to you to finish it. But I will say this. I do believe in diversity uh, when it comes to building a championship team. Yes, you want a lot of youth, and that's good, but you got to have diversity. And I even go back to the owner, uh, uh, David uh, Tepper. He's a businessman. 
And I'm pretty sure he's the first to understand that you got to have diversity. And I'm pretty sure if you look at his stock por uh, portfolio, he don't have just all uh, companies that were birthed in the last five years. He has companies that have been around for 20, 30 years. So same thing. I believe that you got to have that diversity on the football team. You want youth. But at the same time, you go look at the great teams that win. They have veterans on there as well, because sometimes you can get too hyped. You can get too energized. You need that person who's been there to say, hey, calm down, calm down. We still got three more quarters to play. If you don't believe me, go ask the Atlanta Falcons when they played the uh, New England Patriots and they jumped up on the uh, Patriots so fast. Everybody thought the Patriots were going to lose the game. But veteran leadership brought them back. Few plays here, a few plays there. You you mentioned Pete Carroll. I want to talk about Sean McVay. Even when Sean McVay came out in 2017 as the Rams head coach, young, full of passion, mm -hmm. running around, just energy. But you look at the veteran leadership he had with him on his coaching staff. He had Jim, uh, John Fossil. John Fossil been around for a little bit in the NFL. Uh, his, he's the son of a former head coach, Jim Fossil. So he understood professional football. And, of course, they had Matt LaFleur, who, you know, he was kind of like the young of the bunch. But then they had Wade Phillip. Right. Wade Phillip. So they had youth, a mixture of old. So that was the balance. And I don't think you can have you can win successfully and consistently with just young people because you're going to run across something where veteran leadership is going to need to be present to get you over that war. And with the pan and with the Panthers coaching staff coming in, yes, Joe Brady, uh, 30, all of 30 years old, has a national championship under his belt as offensive coordinator for the LSU Tigers last season, uh, worked with uh, the New Orleans Saints before that. Uh, for a couple of years, and from all accounts at training camp, the Panthers' offense is sort of resembling a little bit of the Saints, a little bit of Baylor from where Matt Rule was from, where he was known to run four and five wide-out sets. And uh, <laughs> if you're a Carolina Panther fan, that sounds like Spanish to us because we're not used to seeing, <laughs> you know what I mean, like you know, all these different wide-out sets, nobody in the backfield. Uh, and it's crazy to me. I'm sitting there thinking about combinations, and I'm like, oh, man, so you could have – DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel split out wide. You could put Christian McCaffrey up there on the line, split out wide like a wide receiver because for the most part, he runs routes better than many wide receivers I've seen and has better hands for that matter. In uh, Thomas uh, has looked to be taking on the tight end role left behind by Greg Olson's uh, departure. That's a pretty hard group to try to figure out what to do with. And mm -hmm. you always hear this time of the year um, – this side is ahead of that side, or the offense yes. is ahead of the defense, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Who who would you think right now, uh, at this point in training camp, which unit is typically ahead of the other? I mean, we're basically in week two of training camp, but keep in mind we didn't have any OTA, uh, excuse me, any OT, OTAs, excuse me. Everything's been done by Zoom. They haven't been able to really touch mm -hmm. anybody, uh, so it might not be like a typical year, but in a typical year, early on. What units are usually ahead of the other unit and how long does it usually take for that other unit to catch up? Yeah. Well, anytime you compare an offense and defense, just from the definition of what each tries to do, the offense is usually the type of, of, of the side of the ball where everything 
has to be dotted and crossed. The I's has to be dotted. The T's have to be crossed because one player can just throw off an entire offensive scheme. Whereas on defense, defense is more about attack, attack, attack. And you can have one guy on defense who gets out of alignment, but still can make a play that is disruptive to the offense. So vice versa, I think the defense is usually ahead of the offense because offense has to take time to jail. Defenses is basically who can get to the ball carrier the fastest. It's attack, attack, attack. But offense is attack too, but it's a more of a let's make sure we are constructive in how we do this and very disciplined in how we do this. But defenses are usually ahead of the offense. And even with the Panthers being young, I still think just from that definition, defense is more attack. Offense is more Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. Defense, the Carolina Panther defense is ahead of the Carolina Panthers offense. And, and I asked that question because while I agree with you that typically defense is going to be ahead of offense, uh, as I, I do play-by-play play for high school football here in the area, so I get to see these kids August, early September, and you can tell. You know, you can just see the defense is playing reaction football. Like they can just kind of – they can play off what they see. And the offense is thinking like they're trying to think through a play like they're trying to they're trying to complete something. Uh, and it's basically based on that the, the, this the player A do their job, the player B do their job, the player C do their job. Whereas with the defense, like you just said, you know, something might happen that first step or two. You might be out of place, but you still can make a play, you know, on defense. And it kind of covers up a little of those uh, things in the early part of the season. And typically, yeah, the defense is going to be ahead of the offense because of that. Uh, however, Carolina might be in a different type situation just for this year because of the familiarity of the offense with Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady working together in New Orleans. And with uh, I've noticed Carolina's brought in a lot of like wide receivers that have played in New Orleans the past two or three years. Maybe, I guess, just to get Teddy comfortable or to get the backups like P.J. Walker or Will Greer to get them comfortable with the, the actual system because the wide receivers know where to go. They know the routes. They know the calls. They know – the, the the language the lingo of this offense so maybe they're you know progressing a little faster than we think wishful thinking but teddy again here uh in some audio he's talking about the players he's surrounded by uh and basically referring to the guys that he's been with here in carolina so far as uh true pros it's just a great unit to be around um everyone talks about you know it being a young team but you, be, you, you hang around these guys long enough and you realize, man, these guys are pros. And these guys, they're hungry. And um, I'm excited to, to watch these guys and to be a part of this team and, and continue to grow. So from, from all the stuff we've heard from Teddy here, especially from this week, he seems more and more confident, Ty, in what he's seeing, who he's got. I mean, he's not – you can't really – for what he's got arsenal-wise, I, if I'm a quarterback, I'd be excited, you know, to know that I've got – a, the best running back in the in the the league behind me, and then, you know, B, I've got a pl- like a platoon of wide receivers that, honestly, you could compare them to Kansas City in terms of speed, just flat out speed. Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, comparing them to Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, uh, Sammy Watkins in Kansas City, 
it's not that far of a drop-off in terms of speed. But as we've talked about before, speed isn't everything when it comes to a wide receiver. There's a lot of other things that come into play uh, with that. Speaking of which, I am looking forward to what we got coming up next here, Ty. Uh, a good buddy of yours, ran around with him for a couple years here in Carolina. He's the co-host of the Believe in 49ers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. And a former Carolina Panther cornerback, Eric Davis, will be joining us here in just a second. Uh, I've got some questions for the both of you that uh, <laughs> that I want to ask in terms of um, your playing days together and just what it was like being a cornerback in the NFL. So we'll uh, get with Eric here in just a second. You're listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by my co-host, two-time Super Bowl champion, cornerback Tyrone Poole. And I am delighted to bring on, he is the co-host of the Believe in 49ers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, uh, a former cornerback, 13-year pro, Super Bowl champion, uh, was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in 1990. Uh, played for the Carolina Panthers from 1996 to 2000 and actually helped lead the Panthers to their first NFC Championship game appearance back in 1996. Cornerback Eric Davis joining the Believe in Panthers podcast. What's going on, brother? Uh, nothing much, man. I'm holding on for an old man. Holding on for an old man, <laughs> trying, to, trying to keep it all together. You know, duct tape, no much glue. <laughs> now, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know this, uh, but when I was looking up some stuff here, I didn't realize – you are the all-time leader in consecutive NFL playoff games with at least one interception. You had five. Uh, is that, that record ever going to be broken? No. <laughs> you know what, I don't man, think it is. I, I didn't even know. That's uh, You know what? That's just one of those things that, you know, all these statistic guys like to put together to keep things going. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> only, only, thing, only thing I like about stuff like that, it means that I showed up when it mattered. That's, that's the part go. of it that matters to me because that's, that's what this whole game is about. Um, you know, it's, it's just about being there for your guys when, you, when they need you. And they need you when it's your time. Because <laughs> the, <only laughs> the only play you have to make is the play you have to make. So that just mm. – so when, it, when, I had it, when it was my turn to make a play, I, I feel like I, I made a few in those games that mattered. So – uh, you know, it'll it if you know if guys keep playing, they keep playing football. Yeah, just like every other deal, it'll get broken. I, I gotta write that down. The only play you got to make is the play you got to make. That's a t-shirt. Like that's, no. <laughs> that's something. That, right? I like that. But that's it. Yeah, well, T. Pool, you know, I talk. I, that's one thing I try to tell him. Guys, yeah. guys worry about things all the time. And I, you know, I used, when I used to tell Musa and Muhammad and all this stuff, I remember when he was complaining as a rookie and moose was upset with me one day at practice and i was like what's wrong with you and he's like man i, I didn't they're not throwing me the ball they're not doing anything and i, and I told him i said moose okay let's let, let me put it to you this way i said how many balls did they throw to you last game they only threw me three i said how many did you catch he said i caught two i said okay i said i tell you what if they throw you three you catch three they'll probably throw you four <laughs> if they throw you four i said if they throw you four um you'll probably get a chance to catch five they'll probably throw you five I said, but you're spending all your time worried about the ones that didn't come your way instead of making the plays that are coming your way. I said, so, and that's what I told him. The only play you have to make is the play that you have to make. Stop worried about the ones that you don't have to make. Be there when it's your turn. That's, mm. that's, what, that's, that's the game. That's, that's, I, it's that simple. So, I yeah, like make that, that T-shirt, but I want some credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, I, checks in the mail, sir. Checks in the mail. Uh, you can follow oh. Eric over at uh, underscore bump and run on Instagram. That's bump the letter N and run. 
uh, definitely follow him over there. Guys, take me back to 1996. I'm a, I'm a senior in high school in 1996. It's the second Damn. year of the franchise. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I'm 42. I'm getting up there now. So, but but yeah. So I'm you know I'm excited. I'm so you happy. Just I say, got a home you could team. just say he was just a you know young guy, or he he had to go back. To, I was in high school. I did, hey, I, did, I, did, I did stick that in there. Wait, right hold there on. Hold on. Let me jump in. He didn't even have to mention his age. He didn't have to mention. He could have just said. Right? Let, he could have easily said, "Let's just talk about 1996." He didn't have to do that. But it's like I was, to, I was trying to frame the picture a little bit so people could understand, you know, where I was coming from. But uh, okay, all right, I, I, so, I uh, see. I, said the blind man. I, I, I'm gonna I'm I'm reset it. I'm gonna reset it. So, so take me back to '96, fellas. The um, is the second year of the franchise. I was looking at the names on this defense. Tell me what it was like playing on the '96 defense. You had guys like Kevin Green. Lamar Lathan, Sam Mills, Pat Terrell. I mean, for, for a new franchise, the average starting age of the defense in 96 was 31 years old. Uh, and Ty, you were the youngest starter at 24 in 1996. Just explain to me how to, what it was like playing that year. I mean, I assume the expectations weren't high for a franchise two years into the league. And for you guys to go 12-4, and four, have one of the top defenses in the league and get all the way to the NFC championship game against Brett Favre and the Packers uh, up in Green Bay. Explain to me what it was like that year to be on that defense. Uh, Eric, with you coming from San Francisco and Ty, with you being uh, a second year pro in the league. Well, I, you know I, what? Ty, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Ty, I'd like for you to go first because I, I want to hear yeah. your expectation because I was coming <laughs> from a different place. So go okay. ahead. Well, I say this, the expectations of winning in Carolina was established when Jerry Richardson bought the team. And when we came in, he had given us his 10-year plan roadmap <laughs> to get into the playoffs, to get into the Super Bowl, should I say. So there was no, okay, we are expecting you guys to not be so good your first year. No. When we came in, the expectation was we come here to compete. We come here to not be a doormat. We come here to win. So it just got even higher. Again, you go back uh, and look at uh, uh, 95 the record. You know, we were seven, uh, seven and nine. And uh, yes, we had an opportunity to be different than most uh, expansion teams coming in. You go back to the Bucks. They had to. They came in in '76. They had to build their team up through the draft. But the NFL wanted the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers to be effective right off the bat. So the expectation to, of winning was given from the time the franchises were lend or given to those uh, cities. So uh, '96 is just took on off, you know, from 95. It's like, okay, we're going to bring in guys. Uh, they brought in Eric Davis. And I tell people, you know, Eric helped me tremendously with uh, my uh, knowledge and growth in the game. So it just, there was never a moment where, okay, guys, we're just here. They're going to beat us. Let's just recoup and come back next week. No, no. From the time we came to training camp, to the time the season ended, it was always a high expectation. Dom Capers coming from Pittsburgh. They were a winning organization. So there was never a time where, okay, we, we're going to be a doormat. Hmm. Eric, your thoughts on the, uh, that 96 defense? Okay, so coming in from – so I'm coming from um, an established organization that was all about championships. I mean, you know, I'm leaving 49ers. you got five championships. 
trophies in the in, in the building. And um, the only thing that mattered uh, with that organization was winning championships. Uh, Eddie DeBartolo was the owner of the team at the time, and he would tell us all the time um, because everybody this this was an organization that had had a string at that time of over twenty years of of um, double digit wins. Um, you, you know, you have five Super Bowls in that span. And um, that that was that was New England. That was the New England Patriots. The way the people look at the, the Patriots, that's what the, the, the Niners, that was that team where it was year in and year out. You're competing for a championship. Um, and the owner was like the and he would always say we've had five good seasons because the only ones that matter were the championship seasons. Oh, wow. So I'm going to Carolina and um, I'm going there. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm looking at one. Time there was up, so it was about going to a place where um, I didn't expect the team to be at the level. No, no organization I went to did I expect to be at the level that the, the Niners were at. That wasn't happening. Uh, there was I had no no intentions whatsoever to even remotely be there. Nor did they even need me. That was a, that that club was established, and they had the players that they that they needed. So I go. We get to Carolina. I get to Carolina, and there was a feel, as T. Poole just said. There was a feel from uh, Jerry Richardson, the owner. Everything was in place where these guys were talking to me about what they wanted to do, how they wanted to win, the mindset that they wanted to have. And I felt comfortable that not it, it could be established that winning mattered, as T. Poole said. Winning mattered, and winning right now mattered, and that guys were going to work. Uh, towards getting there because it's 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 a learned it's a learned trait winning just like losing you start to believe you're that you're going to lose you're going to lose there's a difference between having it's it's a difference between having a good record <laughs> and having a winning team and I knew these guys were trying to establish a winning team because the winning team is a mindset you 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 can not have a a, a winning uh, mindset and win games and and have that fluke season to where. You, you, you have, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins, and then the next year you win in three. That can happen. But when you have that winning mindset, you're competing all the time. So just getting there and, um, and understanding, you know, with all these guys, all these players that I'd seen and I had, you know, that I knew were good players in the league. You, you know that these guys can play. So, but also, so it, you know, like Tyrone, he came in with the Niners. He came in in those colors. I was on another team. And really mm-hmm. – we looked at everybody else in the league um, like um, some, as someone who was just in our way. That was mm. the mindset of the Niners. Like, like we, we knew that um, it wasn't about winning as a team and losing as a team. Um, you won as a team. If you lost, it was somebody's fault. Uh, because if you did everything you were supposed to do, you wouldn't lose. And that's how we felt going into every game. And that's what I – wanted to get across so the talent we were a talented talented group and i think everybody respected that everybody i I told someone i was just gonna say before before you go any further while you're on the 49ers portion of this i actually have a confession i gotta make i couldn't stand y'all okay (laughs) i couldn't stand y'all because at the time you you mentioned it earlier that you know back then other than the 49ers it was the cowboys basically and Mm -hmm. before the panthers i was a cowboy fan you know that they yeah. have a four o'clock game every every Sunday here. Uh, the Redskins would play at one, and then the Cowboys uh-huh. would be on at four here in North Carolina. So I kind of grew up in that. And uh, the the secondary of Eric Davis, Merton Hanks, Deion Sanders, and Tim McDonald 
I, I detested y'all. <laughs> like y'all were so good. <laughs> like it, like it's, it's kind of like the way I feel about the Duke basketball team because I'm a Carolina fan. I, I hated them, uh-huh. but I respected them. It's like a hateful respect. And like y'all were just because yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a I'm a huge Deion Sanders fan. So when he went to Fort, when he went to San Francisco, it broke my heart. But watching that season with that secondary and the swag that y'all had. Uh, that Dion brought some juice with him, but y'all already had some before he got there. He just kind of took it over, like way over the top, and like made it uh, where well, you know, <laughs> well, you, yeah, you know, it's. You know, I'm glad you you mentioned that because it, it's funny. That's what I always tell everyone. People forget that we were pretty good before he came, mm-hmm. um, and um, and we were good after he left. Or we had yeah. the number one defense the, the following year. We were we we were we were a good team. We were we so it was a, like I said that winning mentality. It, it was already established, and Prime came. Prime came from a six and ten team. Right. He was he was there, and we were beating kicking his tail. That's what I felt <laughs> about Carolina. That's what I was getting to. Carolina was just another team that we kicked their butt. And right, what I and my division. part in that, and what yes, and and my part in that is what Jerry Richardson told me in my very first meeting. He said, I want you to help this locker room understand what it is you guys have. Because there's only one way to get it. You have to take it. That's, that's the only way. You, you, a, a winning organization is not going to give it to you. And the way you establish that mindset is to go out, work for it, um, and, and put it together on, field, on the field and do what I said. When it's your turn to make a play, make the play that's that's all you have to do and that's what we wanted to establish and um that group understood it we we would put pressure on one another we the old guys who had been there and lost those games like the sam mills and the kevin mm-hmm. greens we had kicked their tails it was like guys you know what at some point because now let me let me tell you the secret the secret is you want to win we got to have it there, there there's there was a difference you you want to win everybody hits the field wanting to win but there's one club that's going to walk out there and nothing else is accepted nothing else is is tolerated nothing else will be will be explained to yourself to your teammate but winning and that's what we had to establish and and i and tipu do you remember the first time we played the niners and I remember, I remember, I was, I was, I was like, I want you guys to understand what I mean, because I always said you can tell how cocky a team is, you can tell the confidence of a team by watching their DBs, because mm-hmm. DBs are gonna chase cars and howl at the moon. And I remember when we played them in Carolina that first time, I told all you guys, I want you to watch their DBs when they walk out there on the field, because I said they're gonna walk out here like they not only own you, but they own the city of Charlotte. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think, and did you remember when they? You remember when they came running out of that um, tunnel, and all? You remember that? Because I remember a bunch yeah. of guys coming up to me pissed off, and I said, "I told you," <laughs> I, and I said, "I said that's how you got to get." I said, "Until you have that mindset, and not yeah. not hope." And that's what we established. We didn't hope we could win. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't feel like if we had to, we had to play perfect ball to win. And that was some of the things that was, was being said. We felt like we're going to go out, we're going to do what we have to do and be it a good day or a bad day. We're, we're about to bring it, so you better bring it. So wait, so here's my question then going – I asked about the 96 team because it was so mm-hmm. veteran heavy. I want to tie that into what's going on now in Charlotte in 2020 with new head coach Matt Rule. Coming from a college background, Baylor head coach, 
uh, Temple before that. The only really NFL experience he has, he was an assistant offensive line coach for Tom Coughlin with mm-hmm. the Giants uh, back in 2013. Can you picture, and this is a question for both of you guys, being on that 96 defense, I'm sure you've heard the reports out of Charlotte that these practices have been a bit different than what they were used to underneath Ron Rivera. Music blaring, fast-paced, uh, run to your stations, don't walk, uh, not a lot of standing around. It sounds like a college type of practice. How would the 96 defense with all those veterans, how would they have uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? How would they have looked at practice, you know, first week of training camp in 2020 if they were the defense for the Panthers and Matt Rule is the head coach running around hitting tackling dummies and, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, this, this dude, this 45-year-old guy shows up and he's basically making – these, you know, these players run as if they're 19-year-old sophomores in college. Like, do you think the 96 defense with all those vets, how do you think that would have applied to you guys? Now, at the time, like I said, Ty was, I think it's 24 and 96, so it was your second year in, so you weren't that far off from, from college yourself, but you got other guys on that team. Sam, uh, Sam Mills was 37 <laughs> years old, <laughs> you know, on that team. So, like, how, how, uh, how do you think that defense would have responded to Matt Rule's it- – uh, type of coaching. Well, can I, let me jump in on this one, John. I'm gonna jump in first because yeah. you just said it. You yeah. were a baby at that time, and I'll tell you <laughs> that, that we we would have jumped in the same way we jumped in on that one because when I got there, so the tackling dummies and and some of the drills and the walking around and the pace of everything. Again, I came I came from a place where it was done a certain way, and I knew it worked. You and and the, the coaching staff knew it worked because Dom Capers. You know, yes, he he was at Pittsburgh, but he was with the Saints forever. And then, like Sam Mills, those guys, the Saints, that we, Kevin Green, we had kicked mm-hmm. their tail year in and year out. So how do you, what do you do? You go to the coaches. See, and that's why I say, see, I, I jumped in on this one because Ty didn't even know this was going on. I was, mm-hmm. I was with, I was with Pooh Bear. That's just like you call, remember I used to call Dumb Capers Pooh Bear. I was with Pooh Bear all the time. I was, I was constantly in his office and, and telling him, this doesn't work. You're treating, and, and I would tell him, you are treating. He would ask me sometimes, what do you think about practice? And, or what do you think about that speech? And I would tell him, I was like, Dom, what you just did is not going to work. And I said, I'll tell you why. I said, you want these guys to, to show some responsibility. You want them to pick things up, but you're, you're treating them like kids. I'm like, you're dealing with grown men. So there are some things that you just need to tell a grown man to do. I'm like, like number one, tackling drills. Guess what? You're an NFL player. I don't have yep. time to teach you how to tackle somebody. You're either going to put your face in a grown man's face that's running at you full speed or you're not. And there's not a drill on planet Earth that's going to make you do that. So we're going to spend time working on situational football. That's a given. You can't be a professional defender and not tackle. Um, as far as the meeting, as far as being where you're supposed to be on time, I would tell Dom, you remember how Dom had this thing about if you were, he would stand there and watch the clock. And if you were a second late, he was finding someone. Oh, man. And, <laughs> and I was, and right, you're right, T-Pool? And yeah. I went to him, yeah. and I went to him, and I told him, I said, Dom, again, you're treating these guys like kids. I said, there's a hierarchy. And he was like, what? No, the rules apply to everyone. And I told him, I said, no, they don't. I said, I said, I told him, I said, I said, if a rookie free agent misses meetings consecutively, you talk to him. I said, if Sam Mills is late for a meeting, there's a reason. 
and yeah. and I said, and you, yeah. and I, and I said, you got it. And I said, and he was like, well, the rule, if the rules don't apply to everyone, I said, no, no, no. I said, the rules apply to everyone. I said, but you also teach this guy that he can earn the right to make a mistake by his play, by his leadership, by the way he established him, establishes himself within his locker room. So those are the same things that I, that veteran crew would be doing. It was like, guys, we're going to work. We're going to work smart because it was always work hard. You got to work harder. You got to work harder. Well, I can, I'm already working hard and we're losing. So mm. let's work smarter. Let's work on the things that are necessary. And Dom, like when he, he literally, he literally would come. You people, you remember when he would come to our meeting room sometimes and then he'd sit there for a second and then he'd walk out. Yeah. Um, and then he, he was booing around what he was doing. He would come to our meeting rooms. He would sit down in our meeting rooms. He would get up. He would go to the bathroom, come back because he wanted to know how much time it took for us to get from one place to the other. How long it would take us to get from our lockers to the practice field. He would walk all these things so he could get his time down. And I was like, man, you are wasting wow. so much time. <laughs> and so, so these are these are conversations that I would have with him. And these are conversations that veteran players have to have. So that's how you establish it. It's like the inmates have to run it like like dumb. Don't get upset with these guys. Don't leave a guy if he's late. I lost my mind the first time he left when Wesley Walls was late for a flight and he left our tight end. I oh, lost. I, I lost. I lost. <laughs> I went up to Dom's room in the hotel and I was like, do you understand how I need this dude? I can't win on Sunday without him. How are you going to leave him? What if he doesn't make his flight? What if he can't get a flight? Like, how stupid is that? Like, we have the plane. It's chartered. It's not going anywhere. The man who got the plane, Jerry Richardson, is sitting there. They're not going to leave until he says leave. See, and well, that's we got- that's, that's, so, you've, you've hit the nail on the head for me because – on one hand, the Panthers are, if I'm not mistaken, they're the youngest team in the league this year. I think the average age is like 25 or something like that. So I, I'm hearing what you're saying, and it's making me nervous because I'm thinking, how long does it take before this Panther team starts to push against what they're getting right now? Because we're only in week two of training camp. Like, all this is new. They haven't even touched each other, really, until the past couple of days. It's all Zoom yep. meetings and None of it feels real until it's out there, you know? So now I'm thinking, okay, it's a brand-new coach, brand-new offensive coordinator, brand-new defensive coordinator, pretty much brand-new team. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. long before? How long is the, the shine on Matt Rule going to last in terms of what he's doing with these practices? Because from what I'm hearing from you is that if it was a veteran-heavy team, like if they would kept some guys, which actually maybe explains why they let a lot of guys go. If they had kept a lot, yeah. of, a lot of these vets that have been with the Panthers for the past, you know, four, five, seven years, that some of this stuff that Matt Rule is doing wouldn't go over well. Like, I can't picture Cam Newton running from drill to drill and, you know what I mean, being not oh, well, submissive. But, well, you know you what? Know, well, see, I, I, I can know. tell you right now. Well, see, this is the thing right now. See, if I had been playing, Cam would have already been running, running from drill to drill. Yes, he's my quarterback, but I, but you, you know – T. Pool, you remember when when the guys were back there catching punts and they were dropping punts and I'd be saying and I would be screaming, "You are messing with my money." I wouldn't say it that nice. You remember? You remember? I was like they drop a punt, like you are like this isn't about you. You are messing with my money. Do you understand? And see that? That's, let, let me say this. And T. We've talked about this. It's yeah. about it's about understanding the obligation that you have. 
It's not about loving football. It doesn't matter if you love football. Football doesn't love you back. Football, would, football doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't care if you love it, but you are obligated to do your job. So there are some things that, that you just need to do. Number one, walking from place to place, you know what that does? If you add that up, it's, it's really this simple. If you add up walking from drill to drill, and you look at the number of practices that you have throughout a season, and you start thinking about the, 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 the 30 seconds here, the 45 seconds here that you waste, the minute here that you waste, you're, you've wasted an entire practice by the end of the season. You've wasted a whole day of practice work, which is not going to help you at the end. You need that time because there's only so many hours that you can put in to, to work at this game when you're working against professionals. This isn't college. So little things like that should happen. Your original question is about how long before the guys push back. Well, are you winning? Because you just said it, it's a young team. There it is. It's like T. Poo. T. Poo came in and he was just following what, what the program was. So that's on the coaching okay. staff to set the standard, set the program. This is how it's going to be. Um, but the individual players have to learn how to push themselves and push themselves to a certain level because you can't depend on a coach to show you how to do things. I, I, I followed every drill that the coach had me do, but T. Poole knows. He and I were out after practice working on the things that we needed to work on to be successful. I don't expect the coach to do that. That's not his job. His, it's not yeah. his job to prepare me to play hard, to play smart, to learn all these things. That's my job as a professional. So now this, the way his practices are and the things that he's doing, Matt Rule that is, if he's winning, if it's working, guys are going to listen. If it's not working, because moving fast, moving slow, walking the drills, running the drills, all of those things are really – not important if you're winning, if you're do getting in the things that are necessary to win games. If you're not winning games, nobody listens to anyone because all I want from a coach is not motivation. I don't need a coach to um, I don't need a coach to to try to babysitter. raise me because yeah, you're dealing with grown men. What I, I don't need a babysitter. What I need a coach to do is teach me how to be a better ball player. I progression. Yeah hand placement, footwork, technique. That's what I need from a coach. And if, you're, if your method isn't working, you got to switch up your method to get those things established so that we can win. And that's the most important yeah. thing. So um, if they're winning, it, 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 they'll listen to them. If they're not winning, they're not going to listen to them. It's that simple. Ty, what yeah, do you think I, about, uh, I, I, about everything? Well, i say this. Um, you know, Eric hit on some great things that I definitely believe in. Uh, all the years that I played, uh, I learned a lot of things, not only not only from players, but coaches. And uh, I'm gonna start with this, I'm gonna kick it off with this here. If I was a GM, say an owner, if I was an owner or a head coach, and I had to hire an offensive OC and a DC uh, to run my you know team, one of the coaches came from a system that Eric came from. And I love the way the actual mannerism, what he told us, how he treated us. He treated us like men. He gave us the rules mm -hmm. and said, these are the rules. You follow the rules. If you get out of line, then that's a price to pay. But I'm going to let you be men. That was Mike Shanahan. Mm -hmm. I like Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan added, he's a player's coach. Mike added years to your career. <laughs> he added years to mm -hmm. your career. But the coaching philosophy, 
I think, again, it's important. And if you get these coaches that come in and say, this is the way we're going to do it, and this is the only way we're going to do it, I think you're going to have problems. And these guys are professional athletes. And all you need to know as a professional athlete is what's my responsibility, what's my position, and you carry it out to the best of your abilities under the philosophy of that team. How you do it is how you do it. If you listen to music before you play a game, you listen to music. If you don't, then you don't. I'm not going to say everybody got to listen to music. But, of course, when it's a team effort, then everybody got to be uniform. But just like Eric said about obligation, um, I definitely believe that, again, there's an obligation for every player to get better. And I'm a firm believer in I'm going to use mixed housing as an example. I do believe you got to have a mixture on that team. If you look at any championship team, they got a mixture. They got a mixture <laughs> yep. of guys who gonna tell the young guys, you got to bring your game up to this level. That's just like in mixed housing. The best neighborhoods they say are those that are mixed because the people who don't have, they're gonna look at the people who do have and say, hey, you know what? I want that right there. So that makes them pick their game up. And those who have it, they're going to say, hey, this young guy is trying to come take it. So it's going to make them stay at a high level. So I don't believe that if you go all young, that that's good. And I don't believe if you go all old. I think you got to have a mixture. So, again, coming into that system, the best system that I would say I played in would be with Mike Shanahan. I love that system. We had that 10-10 10 on Friday. I'm like, man, we oh, get them yeah. Hat day. <laughs> Hat day, baby, I'm telling you. And then the practices, we played, you know, with the running. You're saying Matt, Matt Rule, Matt Rule is telling the guys to run, run, run. Well, I do see some similarities in that. Now, I don't know how it was with the 49ers, but I do uh, when ED was there, but I do know Mike Shanahan is a, a branch from that tree. Mm-hmm. But when we practice, if there was a guy who came in to sub me out, I jogged off the field just like it was a game. Yep. He, Mike yep. Shanahan, demanded that we practice like we played. So there was no, you know, you catch the ball and then drop the ball and turn around and start walking. No. Even the running backs, when they broke through the hole, they ran for another about 15 yards before they turned around. I'm like, hmm. practice like you play. So yeah. I kind of get where Matt Rule is coming from. But at the same time, just like ED say, you got to let them be professional athletes at the same time. Well, yeah, well, you know, and let me I'm going to piggyback on that and just say a couple of things. Number one, as far as, as what he was talking about, the rules that Mike Shanahan, you're right. That comes from that Bill Walsh system. That's that 49er system. And, and it was like the inmates run the asylum. The coaches would always say that if we have to tell you guys what to do, we're worried because at some point you have to take ownership because you're the guys in the huddle. You're the guys on the field. And at right. some point, it has, to, you, it has to be more important to you than it is to us. And from a coaching standpoint, what Tyrone was talking about, letting men be men, that, that's it. Because this is the thing you got to understand, and those coaches always established it with us, and they knew. You can't tell a grown man what to do. You can only tell a grown man what needs to be done. Hmm, it's up yes. to him to do it. You can't tell him what to do. You can't make him do it. So you tell him what needs to be done. Now go out and get it done. You work on the things that are necessary to get it done. Um, and as far as that practice, that's how it was. You practice what, what you do, how you perform is going to be established by your work at practice, period. Because you're going to spend more time doing that than playing the game. 
So the level, the pace, the running on and off the field, all of these things, it's just an established mindset. That's what we were talking about at the very beginning about establishing that winning mindset. This is how we do things. Not we're going to slump our way into it and then hope that it works on Sunday. No, you do it every day so that when you get to the game and T-Pool, you know, you heard me say this a lot on game day. All you're doing is doing it again. You're, you're not yep. hoping that you can make natural. that play. You're not yeah. hoping that you do. It's, you're, you've done it a thousand times. You're just doing it again. And that's the way things have to be established. And, and that's what it is. So, and so that's what I say, Matt Rule's system. There is nothing wrong with playing at that pace. I personally think you should play at game pace. You should practice at game pace. You should train mm-hmm. at game pace because you have to get accustomed to doing these things. And that's, that's what the pro game is all about, uh, is, is learning how to play this game fast as you can, efficiently, under control. Um, but those, those are, I think those are the systems, even in this league right now, that are successful. The coaches that are successful, they're going to teach you how to do those things better and establish that. Uh, but that, you, that, that, that's, that's the system that was there in place, and that's what we tried to establish there with, with the um, – back to the Panthers. <laughs> that's what we tried to establish um, that's what I'm sure they're trying to establish right now. That's why you change coaches. That's why you bring in a different voice. We all know Ron Rivera is a good coach, um, but sometimes you need a different voice. You need to go a different direction uh, when you know that you are trying to uh, change the system uh, because that it's, it's not that his system is a lot of systems win. Not that Ron Rivera's system doesn't work. We know that. We know that it's capable of winning and establishing a winning culture. Uh, but they wanted to go a different direction, and we'll see how these young guys respond. On the line with us, uh, former, uh, well, Super Bowl winner and former cornerback for the Carolina Panthers and San Francisco 49ers, ho- co-host of the Believe in 49ers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Eric Davis, joining us here. Uh, real quick, Eric, I want to pick your brain. We Every time we have a guest on, of course I have to mention the elephant in the room, which is coronavirus, COVID-19, which is affecting all uh-huh. sports right now across the country. Um how do you truly envision the 2020 season going down? Um, and, and we're in a safe place here. You can be honest with us. <laughs> you can tell us what you think is going to happen. Because I, no, I no, think, no, I'm going to lie to you. Because <laughs> there's certain – because that's going through college football right now. I think they're in denial for some of it where they're like, oh, we're still playing. It's still going on. And I'm seeing – I mean, North Carolina shut down. Uh, sent all the kids home earlier this week. Notre Dame is shut down. Michigan State shut down. So, like, we're starting to see some dominoes fall with some of that over there. Those are not paid athletes, though. So, mm-hmm. here in the NFL, how confident are you that we will actually – I'm pretty positive that we're going to start the season. This train, the NFL train's not coming off the track for anything, really. But once it gets started and these teams start traveling, like we've seen in Major League Baseball, that's when they started getting these – uh, these these uh, infections from players having to travel in these planes, staying in different hotels. It looks like the NBA got it right in terms of what they did. And I remember people laughing at the idea back in March when the NBA was saying, well, maybe we'll build a bubble, maybe we'll do this. And I, like I was telling Ty earlier, I, I'm a Laker fan. I was watching the Lakers Blazers the other night, and I love the environment that they have built for this. You almost forget the fans aren't there at this point if you've watched enough mm-hmm. of those games. Now, granted, the NFL can't do that per se, but I'm curious as to what you think may – what's your prediction on what's going to happen to the NFL season as a whole in 2020 
um, with everything that's going on, and we don't really see any kind of, um, unfortunately, any kind of end in sight for this uh, anywhere in the horizon for really for 2020. I, I don't know how this is what the end game is for this, but again, the NFL train's not coming off that track for anything. I joke that it would take something uh, severe for the NFL to cancel the season at this point. What do you think is going to actually happen here once we get going um, here the second week of September? Uh, well, once they get going, um, you just said it. No, nobody beats the monster. I've said that for years. You, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't beat the monster. Right? So that's it. Doesn't matter if, if you're trying to fight it, if you're trying to sue, if you're, you know, it doesn't matter what the issue is. You can't beat the monster. They're going to play these games. So now that it has been established that they're going to start, they're going to finish. So if the question is, do I think you're going to have an NFL season? Yes. That's that's an easy question. Yes. Do I think um, everyone is going to stay healthy, that you won't have cases of COVID within the players' ranks or coaches or referees or um, ball boys or whatever? No, oh there's no way that's going to happen. So, but, yeah. that, but now, but see, the issue and the question is, is um, uh, the question is not whether or not you're going to have those. The question is, is it going to be reported? Is it, so mm. that's so wow. that's a different thing. That's, <laughs> that's a completely a totally different, different thing. thing. Yeah, that's, that's a totally different <laughs> thing because because there because there are so many moving parts and there are so many things that happen on the football field. I mean, I've had so many injuries that were never reported. I mean, I, I tore my MCL and you know missed a few practices. They told me what was wrong, and John came out, our trainer, and I was and he was like, "E, you got it." And I was like, "Okay," and and I was like, the "Surgery?" What he was like, "Ah, it'll heal itself." It was like, "Okay." And I don't even know if you remember that, T-Pool. I, I, I was at practice, yeah. and I had my knee wrapped for a, a few days at practice and everything, but then I just played. Because I had torn <laughs> I had torn I had torn because it, it, it was torn. It hurt. It, it, it hurt, but it, it didn't stop me from playing. So it's mm-hmm. one – But and I, it, was, it never hit the injury report. It never did anything. But I broke the bone in my hand. You remember I would, I would wear oh, a, a, a cast during practice, and then I'd cut it off and play on Sundays. And – Cut it, and then we X-ray it after the game, and then I'd go back out. You, you don't report those things. So wait, the same wait, wait, thing with wait, COVID. Hold on, wait a minute. So are you saying that like teams will not have to report cases once the season begins, like the injury report? No, no, or, no. Or they're gonna have like a separate type of report for COVID cases. Well, well, that's see, that's just it. Who the so that's what we're talking about. Who and what organization is going to set the protocol on testing players? Because if you leave it up to the individual teams. Um, it depends on the player. Let's just say the Panthers are in a situation to where they're going into their last two games. And you know that last month you're going to be playing within your division and everything has turned out and you have three, you got, you got nothing but division games left and you have a two-game lead on the division. And you had three games left all within your division and all of you guys are right there tied and, and just playing, battling out to win that division. And Teddy Bridgewater comes up positive. Are you telling anybody? Or is Teddy playing? That's Teddy's a, playing. I'll a, answer it. Teddy's playing. A, well, that's a loaded question, though, because it's like, is Teddy telling anybody? I mean, you know, like, who who all knows? What, like, I, I don't know. Oh, well, man. Well, that's, <laughs> I don't even that's think about the, this that's scenario. The point. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm saying. So it's a, it depends on who's doing the testing, where the information um, will be presented to. Uh, is it public knowledge? Is it team knowledge? Is it league knowledge? All of these things have to come up. Because if it's left to the individual team, 
It depends on that player. And I can tell you, Russell Wilson is not going to sit out if it's a game that that matters. Um, uh, you, you know, if Drew Brees is not going to sit, if Drew Brees has to beat the Panthers the last game of the season to get um, home field advantage, to get into the playoffs, to win the division, he's playing, period. Even if it, even if it means risking exposing his own teammates and the other team to, to coronavirus? Yes, because if they because if they get coronavirus, they're going to play too, and they're going to want him to play. They're they're going to wow. want him to play, and that mentality if, makes if, sense because I mean we're talking about guys that'll play. I mean there's guys that want to get back out there on the field after having a concussion ten minutes before, you know, like so that makes sense to me. Of that, course, that football players. That's why I'd always it drives me nuts whenever people, especially on the college level, uh, were saying let these kids have a say and if they get to play or not. I'm like. Why? Why are we letting the kids have a say? We know they want to play. They're football players. Like, I mean, yeah, you're yeah. Not gonna, you're not going to run across a football player that says, eh, I kind of want to play Saturday. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're a football guy. You're, you, if you're asked, do you want to play football in 2020? You're going to say yes. So for people to yes, say, of course. yeah, high school kids, college kids, oh, let them have a say. They want to play. They need it. We know they need it. That's the that's the whole point of it. But to put the decision in their yeah. hands well, college is and this is this eye-opening. Is, this is my thing. Uh, well, this is this is my thing is, is different with college and the NFL, uh, because in the NFL, the, the the only reason you are even remotely thinking about doing it in college, the decision is based on economics of those universities. This right. is money that is going to the university It professional rank. The decision is based on that individual and because of his own corporation and that is every single player's um decision to say and they gave them the opportunity to say that i still would like to run my business in this environment i understand the landscape but i'm still going to run my business that's the difference college players don't have a say so they're not making the money it's it's not there so that decision should they shouldn't be a part of the decision because they are not a part of the revenue. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have a stake in it. They are just hired hands. Football players, you are, you are independent contractors. So you should have the right to say, I still choose to take these risks and run my business. That's it. But the, the question on how do I think it's going to play out is all, I, I've said from the start, it's, it's do I think you will have guys test positive yes if that guy is asymptomatic are you going to tell anyone that's the question i don't see them i don't see because originally they were saying (laughs) you know originally they were saying that they were going to um it was going to be an automatic three weeks on the ir before i could come back yeah so so that's what i'm saying three three games left you have a two-game lead you're starting quarterback you're starting left tackle your pass rusher your your number one corner they come up positive are you are you, Christian McCaffrey comes up positive with three games left and you have a two game lead? Are you going to put him on IR for three weeks? Ugh. If you tell someone he's out for three weeks, there's nothing you can do about it. You're not going to. He's asymptomatic. You're not going to tell anyone. Um, the whole league is going to be affected by October. <laughs> the whole league is just going to have it at that point. And then it'll just be herd immunity and then we'll be good to go. Man, Eric. We got to definitely bring you back on this season, man. Yes. I feel like we could do this for three hours, just talking football and stuff with you. I wanted to ask you one more quick question before we let okay. you go. Um, 
Got to ask you, it, way too early probably pick. We're in August, but who you got in the Super Bowl this year? Oh, man, stop it. We hadn't even made it through training camp. <laughs> yes, you're right. I'll try to right. slide it in there. I'll uh, try to well, see if you, would, if you would go for it or not. No, and this is what I tell everyone. <laughs> this time of year, there's no way you can do that because, first of all, we see what's happening in training camps. You yeah. know how you lose Gerald McCoy and all, all these guys. We, we don't even know who's going to make it through camp, make it to the season. So you have to let teams get going and I think you got to get at least halfway through October before teams can establish how they play. Like we were talking about Matt Rule. Is his system going to take hold with this group of guys um, and see how they start to establish this is what we're about? What's their personality? Because uh, everyone thinks it's always about a new head coach or a new player. I need a new quarterback. I need a defensive end. No, you need to have one set philosophy. So we need time to see. If the if the group of guys that have come in, if they if the, the if the philosophy sets with them and they start playing, so you can, if anybody who's picking right now, they're just you know you're just the I mean <laughs> you're flipping coins and throwing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I do want to come back. Last thing I have to say, I do want to come back because I got to get on T pool. I heard you guys. Uh-oh. I heard you Uh-oh. guys talk about your, the Mount Rushmore of the Panthers, and he yes. put a kicker up there before me. All the stuff that who I did you put him. up there. Who did you have up there, Ty? You he had, had, did you have he had John Casey. <laughs> he had a kicker over me out of all the stuff that I that I taught him. Out of all, all, out of all, you, you can't tell me there was a more consistent defensive player in the history of that franchise. Now, I hey, Peppers deserves to be there. I like Mike. I would put Mike Bates up there. Incredible. Yeah, Wesley him, Walls. Yeah, him. Give yep. him a statue. Um. Oh, Cam, yes, all these guys have said some great things, but I'm like, man, you mean to tell me I don't get a statue out there? <laughs> Ty, you want to explain yourself here? Uh, oh, well, we can, the, we can do it next Davis time. Snub? <laughs> Ooh, we'll do it next time. We'll do it there next time. Yeah, well, okay, so he gave, he gave you an out. Okay. <laughs> man, Eric, we appreciate you coming on, man. Much success uh, with the Believe in 49ers podcast. And, and, again, like I said, we'll have you on a couple of times throughout the season. Um, as we get into this season here, it's right around the corner, fellas. We got, what, about three weeks to go before we're really getting into this and uh, seeing what's going to happen. I'm excited. Uh, NFL is my favorite sport to watch, and I'm just thankful that uh, we're actually going to have it uh, going into the fall. Eric, appreciate you being on with this man. Y'all go follow him yes, on Instagram sir. at underscore bump and run. That's bump the letter N and run on Instagram. And go subscribe to the Believe in 49ers podcast, too. If you subscribe to us, check them out also. Uh, great content over there. Eric Davis, we appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, appreciate it, guys. All good. Take it easy. All right, man. man. Love you, bro. And love you, love. man. And we will be back uh, next week with a new edition of the Believe in Panthers podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.